What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another edition of the Mets Legends podcast. Uh, I am one of your hosts, Michael Jennings, uh, starring as current and future Mets legend Travis Blankenhorn, uh, joined as always by uh, my co-host Rob Pearsall, uh, playing as fellow 2021 Mets legend Janesh Fargus. The reason why I chose those names is because we have a very special uh, idea for you today. We're just going to be going over some Mets legendsy moments from the past 2021 season. Uh, so Rob, how you doing, man? Good. I'm ready to wrap up this year, talk about some moments from this past season, because we really did have a lot of legendsy players this year on the Mets and mm-hmm. uh, a lot of moments too, where for a, a small portion of time, they were, those, those guys were really carrying the team. You know, everyone mm-hmm. remembers, <clears throat> excuse me, everyone remembers the bench mob and everyone that just kept growing. Like, yeah. It just kept growing. And uh, for a while, they did better than the team did when the team was at full strength. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, and so a lot of those guys have moved on, but it all kind of was beautiful for a little while. And, uh, you know, if the Mets had made the playoffs, I think it would have been an even greater story. Um, but instead, it's kind of just like adding to the Mets lore of the past. Yeah, exactly. And if I could borrow a phrase from popular home goods, home decor. Um, <laughs> I would say this season could be summed up in a sign that just says, bless this mess, um, which is much of Mets history, I would say. Uh, and I don't know. I feel like that, that would just be on like a wooden plank at home goods for like five bucks. <laughs> I thought you were going to say live, laugh, love. I was going to, and I was going to be like, I don't really see the correlation, but uh, well, they loved each other, it. and that was a very key storyline. <laughs> well, they definitely were alive. They definitely laughed, I'm sure, and the love was there, so it, it's, it's appropriate. Yeah, both of those, both of those work. So, so Mets Legends so, sponsored by Home Goods. <laughs> Home Goods uh, is your go-to destination. Next time you go to Home Goods, tell the cashier Mets Legends, and you'll get twenty percent off your purchase. <laughs> You actually won't. They won't know what you're talking about. They'll probably tell you to get out of the store. Don't actually try that. We are not affiliated with Home Goods. <laughs> uh, Mike, I'm just saying that so that we get all the discounts and no one else does. Yeah, exactly. You know, we can't be, can't be sharing that. It can't be common knowledge. You know what I'm saying? No, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. I have the real the real discount code. Oh. <laughs> So what do you think? What what is what are you know what start start us off with one of your favorite moments, one of your favorite legendsy moments this year? Yeah, so I mean, this season I really just kind of fell in love with Janeshwi Fargus, even from uh, spring training. Um, I mean, first of all, the name, like top notch name, Janeshwi, um, and that I mean that's he's been in kind of the Mets system for a couple of years, so I was like somewhat familiar with him. But I felt like he was like solid in spring training, and I thought you know, okay, you know if things get dire in the outfield, um, which they did, I felt like Fargus would have been one of those guys that could step in and and fill in uh, pretty well. And I felt like he did, even though he only played seven games. Just loved the way he played. I loved his attitude, um, but in particular the moment 
I would say that encapsulates Janeshwi Fargus for me was in his entire series against the Marlins in late May. Um, this was when, you know, I think this was around the time that Conforto and Nimmo both went down with injuries. Um, and, you know, there was, there was a lot of scrambling being done to fill up the Mets lineup. Um, and at the time, you know, Cameron Mabin was hitting third every day. Khalil Lee was striking out in every uh, at-bat that he had. And I felt like even through all that, Janeshwi Fargus was, um, you know, just being like not necessarily a huge star, but he had that, um, he had that catch, uh, like diving catch in the gap uh, in right center which, I mean, the, the center field in Miami is enormous. So uh, for him to have tracked down that ball was, like, really impressive. And then his triple almost inside the park home run where he got tagged out, but he really just didn't give a shit because uh, the Mets, I think, had taken the lead on the runs that he drove in. Um, you know, to me, it's, it's that kind of stuff. Like, you could really feel the passion uh, from him. And this was when, like, the term bench mob really started to become a thing. So I thought, you know, Janeshwi Fargus, your moment in Miami kind of kicked off the whole bench mob idea, at least in my mind. I can't believe that he only played seven games. I know. It doesn't seem like he played a lot more. Yeah. Yeah. Seven games is nothing. Like that's, it's honestly like, I don't know for, for all that he accomplished. I mean, I feel in such that short period of time, yeah. it's kind of hard to believe. I would have thought he played at least like a full month or something like that. Yeah, but... no, it was, it was seven games and uh, he still posted a 0.1 positive war in 52 at bats. So 52 at bats. So he, so he 52 at bats really in seven games. It's a lot. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah. That's crazy. Um, but yeah, that was that was a that was definitely a memorable game. That was early. Oh, that was, that was, that was like twenty twenty one. Sorry. Okay, so he put, did he play did he play for the Cubs too? He did, in the majors. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, because I know that he he had signed with the Cubs um, after he left the Mets, um, or he got claimed off waivers <laughs> or whatever. But mm-hmm. uh, yeah, that that game in Miami was super memorable. The Marlins were wearing those like atrocious, like really orange jerseys. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was super back and forth. And then Jake Hager, too. He was like another yeah. one who was like integral in that. <laughs> Khalil Lee, who couldn't hit the broadside of a barn, like finally got his first hit. Um, Wilfredo Tovar was on the field for the post-game celebration. That's right. Um, God, the fact that he was a Met in 2021 is pretty crazy. He's just like, he wasn't. Like, I, I never would have expected that he would still be on the Mets in 2021 or that he would play a game for the Mets in 2021. And, like, yeah. there's many other guys that I would have, like, assumed would have still been on the Mets by that point. That, yeah. And one of them is not him. I remember you sent me a text in June. Uh, just, like, it was kind of out of the blue, if I remember correctly. But you were like, just imagine telling someone in, like, 2013 that Wilfredo Tovar will be on the Mets in 2021 and Matt Harvey won't be. <laughs> Yeah, it's crazy. Like, <laughs> I think people would be like, like you'd think things have real, like, really would have gone wrong. Um, <laughs> even Ruben Tejada, Ruben Tejada mm-hmm. was on the Mets in 2019, mm-hmm. right? 
Yeah. And Matt Harvey wasn't, you know, so imagine telling a Mets fan that Ruben Tejada was still on the Mets and Matt Harvey wasn't. Um, But that was a good game. I was really hyped. I remember like watching the game and just like going nuts over like these like unlikely heroes. Yeah. um, Yeah. Stringing together, stringing together this win. Yeah. But, uh, you know, just to keep things moving as well with these legendsy moments, I don't want to get too hung up on one. Um, I'll just like list them off just my my next four and then yeah. we can talk about what stands out to you as well so i have um travis blankenhorn's three-run home run to um kick off what would be a comeback in what ended up being a pretty meaningless pirate series they had that um series before the all-star break and after the all-star break with the pirates uh, that was just couldn't have been more catastrophic but that shining moment of blank and horn hitting a three-run home run to kickstart a comeback was uh set out to me as very legendsy um jose peraza's double versus the yankees on fourth of july where that fan reached over and really made a pretty incredible grab um <laughs> to get called for fan interference and keep it to a double um i have tommy hunter's uh first major league hit uh and his subsequent press conference after the game um back in may as well and then um just in terms of just like being epic i also put down uh the one press conference that anthony banda and aaron luke did together uh with a can of bush light and a can of miller light (laughs) in front of each of them respectively um and banda just being like totally tatted up with just like really geeky glasses on. It just was like that image <laughs> is just like burned in my mind forever. <laughs> God, Anthony Banza, like <laughs> there was that one game where he pitched in Cincinnati mm-hmm. where the Mets like I think I think Kevin Pilar hit like a grand slam or something like that, like late in the game. Or someone hit a grand slam and like Anthony Banda like closed the game out because the Mets had like yeah. no one else. Yeah. I think was that the game where they had the Miller and the Bush light? That might have been. been. I think that was that game. And then what happened to him? He like the Pirates like claimed him or something like that off waivers. So yeah, I mean it was part of that. Um, he was a victim of all of that like forty man roster Jenga that the Mets had yeah. to play uh, as guys were getting healthy and you know had to let go of a lot of these, these legends, um, these, like these guys who filled in totally admirably for all the guys that got hurt. Um, I just, it was, it was a little heartbreaking seeing guys like Janeshwi Fargus, like you gotta wave them, you know, you gotta wave Anthony Banda and Tommy Hunter. Um, it was really, you know, pretty, pretty sad when a lot of those guys had to, had to be moved on from. Yeah, Tommy Hunter, you know, I think at least, like, from that, like, at least the Mets got Rich Hill mm-hmm, from that right. deal. Like, at, like you know, part of, partially, you know, Tommy Hunter was in that trade. Um, right. But, yeah, a couple, you know, a couple other moments, too. Um, obviously, you know, we talked about it a little bit before the podcast, but Patrick Mazika having his walk-off, um, like, his couple walk-off games was mm-hmm. pretty exciting, um, even though they were just, like, super – <laughs> just like lucky like like, not like yeah. dribblers not like he ripped a double to take the lead and like walk it off or anything <laughs> no it's just like he like put the ball in play and like it, it worked um yeah. the fact that like i remember like before the season no offense to patrick Mazzucchi either but i remember like before the season i was really 
lobbying hard for the Mets to try to sign Tyler Flowers mm-hmm. um, because their catching depth was so thin. Mm-hmm. Um, like where it got, it kind of got to the point where it was like, okay, if Nito or McCann get hurt, um, like Patrick Mazika is the next in line and that's just not good. Um, and then he came up and he actually had those like moments. And then he, I remember he actually hit a home run against the Rays in yeah. Tampa Bay. That's right. Yeah. Um, and so that was pretty exciting. And pa- Patrick Mazika just seems like a great guy too. He has like a pretty funny Twitter. Um, and I remember like when that. He's one of those catchers that pitchers just love. Um, like at least that's the sense that I get uh, from, I remember, you know, kind of during that time when he was having those walk-off heroics uh, and he was catching a bunch as well. Uh, one of the things that stood out to, I mean, not just me, but anybody really watching was like how well he handled the pitching staff having not really had much experience at all with them um, and him being, you know, a young catcher and things like that. Usually those things take time, but he, he just stepped right in and was, um, it was very admirable in the way that he uh, handled that staff. And maybe that's the entire reason why the Mets didn't sign a guy like Tyler Flowers in the offseason is that they thought even if a guy like Nito or McCann gets hurt, yeah, you know, any offensive production would be lessened for sure. But, neat, you know, he, he seems like one of those guys that pitchers just love throwing to. He's also, he's also a homegrown guy. And yeah. uh, I think he probably knew a lot of the guys from the minor leagues and stuff mm-hmm. like that. Yeah. So, he, you know, he's – I feel like Mazik has been in the, in the farm system forever. Um, True. And, so, yeah, he kind of has been. Um, but, yeah, that was, that was pretty cool. Um, a little bit less cool was Cameron Maybin um, being on the Mets. Uh, he was terrible. And then, like, he just, like, faded into oblivion. Like, I don't even know what happened after, like, the Mets, like, removed him from the 40-man roster. Because, like, it, it said he was, like, on Syracuse Mets roster, but I don't think he actually played any games for them. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if, like, he got hurt or if he just, like, I don't know. Um, well, I think, I mean, he cleared waivers and was sent down. And then... I think wasn't it some sort of situation where the Mets like could somehow keep him available to be like traded to a team or something like that. I don't know. I can't remember exactly all the circumstances of his, of the end of his tenure, but I just remember when they signed him, when they were going through all those like injuries and stuff that I was like, you know what, Cameron Mabin, he's a solid major league outfielder. And uh, at this point in his career, he kind of wasn't. Well, that was like, yeah, the Mets like got him from the Cubs because they were kind of hoping that like bringing him in would like be a little bit of a, a spark to a team that was decimated by injuries. Um, mm-hmm. And it just didn't work out. Um, but yeah, you know, I was, I was kind of excited for that move. I thought that, you know, it would have been good and it just didn't end up being good. Um, mm-hmm. But a move that did end up, I did end up liking was obviously when they got Billy McKinney from the um, Milwaukee Brewers. Yeah. And they, then, then like having McKinney and Brandon Drury at the same time, um, which is funny. Cause those were like two guys that were like prospects for the Yankees and were mm-hmm. traded to the, to the Blue Jays for Jay Happ. Like it was just those two guys for Jay Happ. <laughs> and then both of them ended up on the Mets. So that was funny. At, at the same time and in very major roles uh, for that Mets team at the time, which was Billy McKinney was very solid. Um, he was kind of 
it was kind of in my mind a little bit of a Michael Conforto 2.0, um, or I guess you could say a, uh, a poor man's Michael Conforto. And Conforto's at his best. He's obviously a much better player. Um, but yeah, I mean, McKinney, McKinney did as well as anyone could have expected from him. Um, and I hope, I, I, I really hope that he catches on um, and has the kind of production that he had for that stretch with the Mets. Uh, because he was, I mean, he was pretty solid for, you know, he, again, it's another guy. He only played 39 games, but it feels like he played a hundred. Yeah. Yeah. Well, those guys were just being ran out there every single day. Um, yeah. and I guess like the, the last moment to like have to bring up would have to be like the rat raccoon incident, just because it's like very of the Mets for like that to happen. Um, and that game too is like nuts. Like I remember just like yeah. see everyone run down the tunnel and like being like, what is going on right now? Like, yeah. um, and then, and then just having like this ridiculous, like discourse after the game. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, like, can you like imagine seeing that though? It's like Lindor just like slugging Jeff McNeil in the face, like, that well, must can, be crazy. I mean, you can see the body language of everyone that runs down into the tunnel. Like, I remember specifically, there's a shot from, I mean, it was probably from like the left field, like, you know, stands or something like that, where there, wherever there's a camera, and I can see Michael Conforto like whip his head around and like like sprint basically down the stairs <laughs> it's like him and like clearly Alonso, i remember yeah like, it was like super yeah. concerning and like yeah. you just don't know like like at that point you're just like what happened if someone like fall this one pass out you know yeah right <laughs> and then like i don't know it was like that was crazy um but i think i felt that was worth mentioning because it's just like that was very, very messy of that to happen. Yeah. I mean, so the moments that I mentioned, and we were talking about this before we started, um, it's mostly geared toward those guys who filled in admirably for injured regulars. Um, but I think it should be mentioned, like some of the legendsy things that the regulars did do. And alongside with the rat raccoon, like one of my favorite moments from the season was, um, and it was like, you know, it, it was it was a highlight for sure like a defensive highlight but um i just loved like what it said about francisco lindor where um the, the mets were like in a jam familia was on the mound um and i think it was against boston i want to say and you can see lindor basically talking familia through the entire like at that yeah. he's being like very mm. vocal talking to familia and like right before the pitch you can see him like literally like goading him to throw the pitch and not worry about the runner or whatever. Like that's to me, that's what that says is that he was telling him like, don't worry about the runner, just go get your guy. And then the next pitch, a line drive right at him and he doubles up. Uh, I think it was Renfro on second base and to end the inning. Mm -hmm. um, and, uh, and, you know, Lindor was fired up. Uh, Familia was fired yeah. up. And, and that was kind of like early on in the season to where I was like, okay, you know, Lindor might not be hitting right now, but his head's in the right place. He's, you know, he's to being an infielder. To, scene. to have an infielder kind of take control over like the game like that, you know, is something that I really admired about Lindor kind of from the beginning. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, I, I know obviously this year, like the results weren't there um, completely, but 
I mean, that's still a major move that the Mets, you know, got Lindor. And I, obviously, I think it's kind of hard to – or it's like it's easy to kind of lose sight of it because this offseason has been really busy, um, you know, with the Showalter hire, the Scherzer signing, the Marte signing. But having Lindor, I mean, that's a huge – like, that's a huge piece to this to this puzzle, you know. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of people kind of don't really think about it so much anymore. But, like, he's really going to be a big contributor to this team going forward. Yeah, and I mean a little bit off topic, but I I saw a tweet earlier today from um, from our friend Ryan Finkelstein. Um, he was talking about you know where does Ronnie Mauricio fit in in the future now, um, and I think I mean just to respond to that real quick, like I I just think that the Mets are best suited to trade him for uh, for some real like uh, bona fide like ready to win now talent. Uh, whoever that might be. Um, I don't know. What do you think, Rob? Do you think the Mets should hang on to Mauricio? You know, it's, it's, it's hard, right? Because you got to find this fair balance between prospect hugging and um, making those deals. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and obviously like, it, it's like anytime a player gets traded, right? It's like, people start chiming in as if like they know everything about this minor league player that got <laughs> traded and this and that. Yeah. And like, sometimes it works out. Sometimes it doesn't. I think I was a little bit less happy about it when Brody Van Wagenen traded prospects away because like he very clearly was just like throwing shit against the wall and hoping it would stick with yeah. like very little regard for like what the prospects were. Mm-hmm. I have a little bit more faith in like the current front office with Billy Epler, you know, and, um, having like a, like a, like a more sound, like, like guys that aren't just like, like agents with the will ponds breathing down their neck. Um, yeah. You know, maybe next year, the Mets, you know, bring in a Pobo, you know, maybe someone like David Stearns, if that happens, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think I'll feel even more comfortable but with, 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 it's just so hard to tell. Like, cause like, you never know what's going to happen. Like, you know, they could always like put Mauricio at second base or maybe third base, but they also kind of have an expectation of trying to win this year. And so if you could get someone, you know, like, obviously, I don't know if this is even like a thing that's on the table, but if you could package a Mauricio and, you know, or, or a Brett Beatty mm-hmm. in a deal for a Jose Ramirez or something like that, you know, you do it uh, six ways from Sunday. Um, yeah. But and this, you and, know, you know, this, the, that's a good point because, you know, the, the Cleveland guardians are clearly trying to, to either retool or rebuild. Uh, they're not going to pay Jose Ramirez. I don't think. Um, and I think that that would be, that would be something that I would be really interested in to see, you know, the Mets. Yeah. They would have to give up a decent amount of trade capital, but in return, you get a young guy who then can be re-signed. Yeah. A la, a la Lindor, you know, kind of in the same way. Um, and and the Mets are just you know would just be making out like bandits um, from the Guardians. Sorry, Cleveland. I think, I yeah, I'm sorry, Cleveland is right. Um, but you know, I mean, obviously, like how it seems right now, you never know what's going to happen in the future. But it really seems like as long as Steve Cohen has the money, he's going to infuse money into the team, and he's going to try. Like like I don't foresee the Mets rebuilding like maybe ever again. Um, mm-hmm. I think that there's going to be an expectation to win every single year. Um, and, you know, I, I like that Ben Zosmer got 
promoted to assistant GM. Uh, I think that, you know, the analytics department is going to continue to get better. They're going to replenish the farm through the drafting. And, Mm -hmm. um, you know, it gives, it gives a little bit more leeway to be expendable with your prospects. Um, It's interesting. So we'll see. Yeah. I mean, they've been, the Mets have been good in the draft, good at drafting, you know, players that have panned out at least to be major league level ball players. Uh, We've, we had an episode about that a while back about, you know, in the past like 10 years or so, just about every first round draft pick has, has made it to the majors, I think. Right. Um, Which isn't true of every team. So, um, so yeah, I mean, I don't know. I kind of like this cadence a lot more than trying to, trying to put more value than is needed on guys who, who don't really like deserve that level of, um, I don't know pressure i guess you could say yeah because um, i feel like i mean i feel like even a guy like patrick Mazika was like oh well he could be a good catcher for the future and it's like well maybe like maybe. if everything goes right for him you know what i mean mm-hmm. yeah um, but, so we'll yeah. see i mean we'll I, see. I wouldn't i mean mauricio has definitely gotten bigger stronger and you know i i feel a lot like more confident in him as a prospect now than i did maybe a year ago. Um, but we'll see. I mean, he's definitely, I think he's probably at this point, the most like valuable trade chip. Um, definitely. definitely. And so, um, but yeah, um, with that being said, why don't we wrap this up and we will talk about, you know, we'll name a, a legend or two before we get going. Yeah. Lead us off. I, I, I forgot to think about this today. <laughs> so, I am going to be remembering on hell Barella today, 2009 met on hell Barella. Also right. 2009 Yankee he played for both the Mets and the Yankees that year. I wonder how many guys have done that. i like the same year. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, pro- probably not too many. Um, Jason Anderson. I know he was a pitcher. He did that in like Oh three. Um, but the Mets and the Yankees don't make a ton of trades generally. So, um, it's probably, it's, it's pretty like, I'm sure it's probably pretty few, but on help I remember being a kid and like, like me and my, my friend James, like growing up, like we thought he was going to be like the next like big thing. And I remember like having his rookie card of like such a prized possession of mine (laughs) and on help bro, 2003 tops rookie card, probably worth five cents now. Yeah, exactly. Um, um, and I always forget he was a Met. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, no, I remember that that um, that particular card. I think I have the same one. But I'm going to remember um, early 2000s backup catcher Vance Wilson. I can't remember if I've already said Vance Wilson or not, but I don't. Really I love care me some Vance Wilson because I love me some Vance Wilson. Yeah. He was. He was. I loved. He was a good backup catcher. I liked him. Yeah, and uh, you know. He was he was the backup catcher to you know Mike Piazza for most of his time, actually all of his time with the Mets, um, yeah. and you know I think you know, he was he was pretty solid honestly. Like when you're looking at his baseball reference page, I'm kind of surprised he called it quits um, after the 2006 season. He only spent eight years in the majors. Um, he didn't play for the Mets in 06 though, did he? No, he played for the Tigers, which is another reason why. Yes, <laughs> yes, that's right. He was a Tiger after he was a Matt. Yeah, and I believe I liked him was, a lot. I believe he was somewhat up and down um, with the Mud Hens as well. So 
Okay. It always comes back to Toledo for me. <laughs> I'm sure you like him a lot better than Jason Phillips. I know how much you'd hate Jason Phillips. I do hate Jason Phillips quite a bit. Yeah. And oh, Jason Wilson. Phillips. Yeah. In terms of backup catchers in Mets history, Jason Phillips is way down there. <laughs> yeah. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I want to steal his goggles. <laughs> it's okay. I'm allowed to say that because I wear glasses too. Oh, same. There are yeah. dozens of us. Yeah. <laughs> all right, guys. Well, so we'll see right. you next time. Yeah. And, uh, We'll be back. Yeah, Happy New Year.